Christchurch, New Malden. Sunday the 24th of October 2021, 11 o'clock service. Stephen Kurt speaking in the series, How the Bible Presents the Church. The Spirit of God. Okay, well over the last 18 months we've got used to the idea of one thing being very important. What is that one thing? Ventilation. Really, really important. In the early days of coronavirus, people weren't really quite sure what the really crucial steps were that we needed to take to combat it. But as time has gone on, the experts have become pretty clear to us that ventilation is key to uh, basically handling COVID in the best way possible. Letting in fresh air, that's a crucial part of blowing away that virus and reducing, if not stopping, infections. That's why the door is open. Our door is always open as a church and uh, it's open particularly at the moment to let wind come in to provide ventilation. That's why when we have our children's groups, which we did this morning, the windows were open in those rooms. It might make it a little bit more cold, but it increases that crucial ventilation. But people have known the benefits of fresh air for a long time before COVID. Medical treatments that we now take for granted uh, haven't always been around. We haven't always had clean air acts either. There was smog, wasn't there, and things like that in the past. And it wasn't uncommon in Victorian times and Edwardian times for doctors to prescribe to people who could afford it, the sort of people uh, in the picture coming up in a minute, time by the seaside. It's not uncommon in that era for doctors to say you need a spell at the seaside to get some fresh air into your lungs. And we even use it as a metaphor, don't we? Someone joins a place of work or a church or wherever it might be, and they bring a transforming influence. They bring personality and oomph and new ideas and that sort of thing. And what do people commonly say? They're a breath of fresh air. Because of just their presence sometimes, they're blowing away or helping blow away the metaphorical dust within that organisation. And in the light of all of that, it's not surprising that one of the most powerful metaphors that the Bible uses for God's Holy Spirit, for God's personal presence and power, is the image or the picture of a mighty wind. A mighty burst of fresh air bringing God's life into his people. Why? To transform them. That's what we saw in that reading that John just read from Acts chapter 2 about the day of Pentecost, didn't we? We hear there of a sound like the blowing of a mighty wind coming from heaven and filling the whole house where they were sitting. Now there's other metaphors in that passage as well, most obviously the tongues of fire that rest on the disciples, but the primary one is that of God's breath, and that's because that's what the word spirit literally means. The Greek word pneuma literally means breath. And it's not its first use in the Bible. So the equivalent of the Greek word pneuma in the Old Testament is the Hebrew word ruach. And we find that word a number of times, numerous times in the Old Testament. Starting with creation, right at the start of the Bible, we hear that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters of chaos and was shortly to bring God's order to that chaos. But then we get what's called the Spirit of the Lord or the Spirit of Yahweh coming upon leaders in the Old Testament, leaders like Gideon, Samson, and David. God raises up leaders to rescue the people of Israel from their enemies. But there's a problem. 
And the problem is that God's spirit, God's breath that brings his power, it comes upon Israel's leaders and they do amazing and mighty things, but it's only there for a time. It then departs after that task or that job for which God's spirit was needed has been accomplished. And that's part of the reason why the Old Testament such a depressing cycle of sin and disobedience on the part of God's people, because God's spirit hasn't come in a full and permanent sense. But towards the end of the Old Testament, that changes. There's a promise it will change at any rate. There'll come a day, the prophet Joel says, when God's Spirit's going to come upon all of his people and remain with them. And let's see the words of the prophet Joel now that were quoted in that passage John read. Peter on the day of Pentecost quotes from the prophet Joel to explain this weird thing that's happening, showing that the people aren't drunk, something else has happened to them. And this is what the prophet Joel had said years before. And afterwards, uh, following the uh, events that he's talked about in uh, the earlier part of Joel 2, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days. I'll show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. And particularly note the emphasis on everyone. Most of the leaders in the Old Testament were adult men. There were the odd exception, the prophetess and Judge Deborah and so on, but most of them were adult men. But here it's emphasised that God's Spirit will one day come upon all flesh, women just as much as men and young as much as old. And another passage that pictures this in a very um, vivid way is that other passage that was read to us just a few minutes ago from Ezekiel 37. And it's a passage made famous by that song, Dem Bones, Dem Bones, Dem Dry Bones. I won't sing it. Catherine might if she was here. But that's a passage that pictures a valley full of skeletons, full of dry bones, before God's breath powerfully comes and enters those bones, enters those skeletons to make them come to life. And it's a picture of God's coming rescue and transformation. And all of that is what's happening on the day of Pentecost and ever since. God's spirit, God's breath, God's fresh air being poured into his people. Why? To bring his life and transformation to his world through his church. Now, before we go on and think about how this possession of the spirit shows itself or should show itself in church life, I do need to make it clear, and perhaps this is obvious, that the Holy Spirit is never presented as identical to the church. God's Spirit is sovereign and independent. As Jesus says in John's Gospel, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it goes. So it is, Jesus says, with everyone born of the Spirit. God's Spirit can and does do the most amazing things, sometimes completely independently of the church. But nonetheless, the Spirit is given to the church. And he is meant to transform us like a breath of supernatural fresh air. And that's because the Holy Spirit's task is to bring the supernatural life of heaven to earth. And that's what Jesus did during his earthly ministry. All of those stories that we probably most of us know so well or are so familiar to us of all those amazing things Jesus did in his earthly ministry, 
When Jesus was doing that, he was bringing the supernatural life of heaven to earth. That's why he taught his followers, he taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus, everywhere he went, was bringing the life of heaven to earth. That's why all those incredible, amazing things happened. And then Jesus ascends into heaven, doesn't he, at the end of his earthly ministry. And we can think that's about the absence of Jesus, but as I said before, it's not. It's paradoxically about the very opposite. The Bible understands heaven as the control center for earth, so the one who reigns in heaven rules on earth. Jesus ascends into heaven, and therefore he rules over the whole of the earth, and it means that his spirit, the spirit of God, the spirit of Jesus, can be everywhere. That's what enables God's Spirit to come upon those who belong to Jesus. That's why we celebrate Ascension Day and Pentecost shortly afterwards. Jesus ascends into heaven and it enables the church to both experience God's Spirit and to become a channel of that Spirit to the world. So if this church, Christ Church New Morden, is full of God's Holy Spirit, what will that look like? Well, several things. But first of all, we'll be a church more and more deeply joined to Jesus. Now, the Bible is clear that everyone who is a Christian possesses God's Holy Spirit. It makes clear, actually, that we can't become a Christian without the Holy Spirit. Anyone who says Jesus is Lord and means it has God's Spirit. But at the same time, it exhorts us to continue being filled with the Spirit, for this to be a continuous process. We're challenged to go on being filled with the Holy Spirit like a a constant fountain uh, where we're constantly being filled with God's Spirit. It urges us to keep in step with the Spirit. It uses other expressions that make it clear that this, as I say, needs to be very much an ongoing process. And a key part of that ongoing process if we're constantly receiving God's Spirit and being filled with that Spirit, is that our relationship with Jesus, having begun, will develop. The truth is that any relationship needs to be growing to stay alive, doesn't it? A relationship doesn't just stay where it is. It's either declining or it's growing. And it's the same with our relationship with God. And the Holy Spirit is given to help that relationship with God to grow and develop into all the things God wants it to be. So how does the Spirit grow our relationship with Jesus? Well, it's as we listen to church talks here in church, hopefully. But particularly as we discuss the Bible and our Christian lives with our Christian friends, perhaps in a home group, but also when we pray. We can pray by ourselves, but we can also vitally pray with other Christians or have other Christians pray for us. It's all part of that relationship with God developing. And I guess the challenge to every single one of us in this church this morning is whether we're open to that. Do we really want a closer relationship with God through Jesus? Do we want that relationship to stay more or less where it is at the moment? Or do we want it to grow and deepen? Because the Holy Spirit promises that if we're open to that, that's what will happen. I mentioned home groups uh, a moment or two ago. And we've got a number of home groups here at Christchurch. There's uh, a group, not from this church, but they're laughing away. Someone said something funny. 
And they're small groups that gather together to do several things, to read the Bible, to discuss it, to pray for one another, and crucially, to support one another as well. Loads of people at this church say that their faith has really developed and grown through belonging to a home group. Now, we have several that meet in the evenings. We also, at Connections on a Wednesday, have several groups, which I suppose they can't be called home groups because they don't meet at home, but they meet here at church. But they basically do what a home group does. People study the Bible together, they pray for one another, and they support one another. And it is a fantastic way of growing as a Christian. Uh, it is a way that God's Spirit can very powerfully develop our relationship with God, and I do commend it to you. Do have a word with me if you're interested in finding out more. And one of the symptoms that the Holy Spirit promises to bring us as our relationship with uh, Jesus develops through him is a deep assurance that we really do belong to God. When we pray, you see, we're promised that God's Spirit is praying within us as well. And as that happens, as that relationship develops, it brings really home to us in a deeper sense that we belong to God as his precious sons and daughters. Now, that status of being God's sons and daughters, that is conferred on us at our baptism. Some people here might have been baptized relatively recently. I guess most of us here would have been baptized a very, very long time ago. And that is when we were declared to be God's precious son or God's precious daughter. But it's as we continue to allow the Holy Spirit to develop our relationship with God that the truth about who we are, the truth about that status, really starts to take deep roots within us. And to get back to that picture of ventilation, we really need to be willing to open the window to allow the fresh air of God's Spirit to blow away those harmful germs that tell us that we're not good enough that we're not good enough for God, that we're a failure, and so on. We can pick up loads of negative messages in our lives that make us doubt our status in the eyes of God, that we're not good enough, that if people knew what we were really like, they wouldn't want to be our friends, and so on. And what happens as we develop our relationship with God through the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit brings into our really deep inner being the assurance that we are God's precious sons and daughters. And a wonderful liberation comes from that. The worst behavior normally happens when people are insecure. And God wants us to be secure. God wants us to have that security of assurance that is then liberating and allows people to display God's Holy Spirit because it's been so transforming to them. So again, the challenge are we willing to allow the Holy Spirit to bring that about in our lives? Are we willing to open ourselves up to receiving more of God's Spirit and that deep assurance that we belong to God? So that message can go to our hearts and transform us. And as this happens, it will change us, both as individuals and as a church, for this reason. We'll be a church growing in a couple of things, at least holiness and also unity. Now, holiness is a rather unattractive word today, and not just for people who don't come to church, for plenty of people who do come to church as well. The word holiness can be a bit of a turn-off. It can become a rather unattractive idea, and that's because it conjures up very often 
the image of being humorless and against fun and enjoyment. I do apologize to this bloke, wherever he is in the world, that I've used him as an illustration this morning of being, uh, I think he was posing for this photograph, so I don't think he'll mind. I just Googled grumpy man, and this came up. So there you go, he was first on the list. But that's not what holiness is about at all. Holiness is about regarding our lives as set apart for God, precisely so those lives can have the fullness that God wants for them. It does involve things that we decide not to do, because the Holy Spirit will bring home to us that those things aren't good for us, that they actually don't bring the life that they appear to promise. That's got definite implications for our honesty, for our money, for our work, for our relationships, and yes, our sex lives. But it's much better to understand holiness positively. The holiness that the Holy Spirit leads to is liberating. It's about God continuing to shape and mould us into that person that he made us to be. That doesn't just happen individually. In fact, it rarely happens individually. Because another mark of the Holy Spirit is us being drawn into greater unity as a church. You see, if the Holy Spirit brings us a deep assurance that we're God's precious sons and daughters, then he simultaneously will be giving us the growing realisation that we're also brothers and sisters within the church, with all that that should mean. Now, I'm not sure how many of you here watch EastEnders. I'm not really a huge fan of EastEnders, but I catch it from time to time. And from time to time, you get a character normally like Phil Mitchell, if you're familiar with EastEnders, who will be really annoyed with his brother Grant in times gone past. I think Grant's now disappeared from the show. But it might be his sister Sam or it might be his cousin Billy Mitchell or whatever. He'll be really annoyed with them, really fed up, but he will decide that he's got to help or even rescue them because of something summed up by this phrase. He'll say, "Is family in it. And you get this quite often, and it's sort of meant to be quite endearing, really. Is family in it. And believe it or not, that is a good illustration of how the Holy Spirit can lead us into greater unity in the church. I don't know what Steve McFadden, the actor of Phil Mitchell, would uh, think about him being used as an illustration of the Holy Spirit, but that's what I'm doing this morning. Because we're very different. We can disagree really strongly. We can be really, really annoyed with each other. But if we are listening, the Holy Spirit will be prompting us, like the voice of Phil Mitchell, by telling us that we've nonetheless got to love one another as brothers and sisters. Why? Because it's family in it. In other words, we have got to learn to see one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that tough things sometimes don't have to be said or, or even done. That happens within families. Discipline uh, is not uh, antithetical to regarding someone as a member of your family. But nonetheless, we are called to love one another as brothers and sisters because we learn to see one another as what we are, which is brothers and sisters in Christ. If we're sons and daughters, we are also brothers and sisters. And in this case, the breath of fresh air from God's Holy Spirit is blowing away the tribalism that so often divides this world. Segregation is just taken for granted in this world. People sticking to people like them. 
And very often, sadly, the church can just be a sort of imitation of that. But we're meant to replace it. We're meant to open the window so God's Spirit can blow that away and replace it with a life-giving unity that then brings hope to a fractured world. Why does it bring hope? Well, because if the church is for everyone, people will believe that God is for everyone. If people are welcomed into this church as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, with all that that means, then they'll far more easily believe that God is for everyone as well. They'll far more easily believe that there's a God who wants them as his precious son and daughter. I mentioned Grapevine a few minutes ago and the, the vision that that was established on. And what we're trying to do with Grapevine, which is why the welcome is so crucial, the food's really important, of course it is, and having uh, flowers on the tables and stuff like that, that's absolutely brilliant. But the most important thing, and this goes for our night shelter as well, is when people are welcomed in such a way that they know we really want them. And if people know that they're wanted as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, they will believe far more readily that there's a God who loves them and wants them as his precious sons and daughters. And the question is whether we really want to do that. Do we really want to be brothers and sisters with people who are different from us? Or are we much happier to say separate? It's much easier to say separate, isn't it? It's much easier just to be with people like us, plues, there's even an expression for it today, people like us. But Christianity is an utter rejection of pluism, people like usism. And if we want to change in this regard, we need to be open to God's Spirit. God's Spirit taking us and transforming us as individuals and as a church so that we can witness to this vital truth that God is for everyone. And we don't primarily witness to that by what we say, we primarily witness to that by what we do. If we treat one another as brothers and sisters, if we make it clear that everyone is welcome to join this community as fellow brothers and sisters, then people will start to have hope that there is a God and he loves them. Most people, um, I think outside the church, don't think God loves them, really. If God does exist, a lot of people don't turn out to be atheists. They're sort of agnostic. They sort of think, well, difficult to explain this world if God doesn't exist, but I sure don't think that he loves me particularly. And we've got to try and blast that notion and make it unsustainable. We've got to make it absolutely as clear as possible that God does love everyone. And that's what God gives us his Holy Spirit to demonstrate. And it's a wonderful but challenging calling. What does it all amount to? Well, it amounts to the final point that I want to emphasize this morning. If this church is full of God's Spirit, we'll be a church that's then equipped for God's work. I spoke a few weeks ago about what it means for the church to be the body of Christ. And I mentioned then that God, through the Holy Spirit, gives to everyone who belongs to him gifts to build up the church, both in terms of our ministry to one another, our service to one another, and our mission to the world. God doesn't call people to be Christians without also gifting them. The two things always go together. Every single one of us in this church has been given gifts of the Holy Spirit to be part of God's answer to a fractured and broken world. And whatever stage of life we're at, and whatever incapacity we might have or whatever, we can still be used by God. There will be things that we can do or say or pray or think or whatever that can be part of that. 
But perhaps the crucial thing to reflect on this morning is the way that 1 Corinthians 12, that famous passage that talks about the church as the body of Christ and all the gifts being needed, it's followed by 1 Corinthians 13, that famous passage that we're familiar with from weddings very often, a passage all about the importance of love. You see, the gifts of the Holy Spirit spoken about in 1 Corinthians 12, they're important, but the most important mark of the Holy Spirit, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, well, he says three things, faith, hope, and love. And he says the greatest of these is love. But faith, hope, and love, what all three of them do is they bring the life of heaven to earth. And Paul makes this amazing point, which is, uh, he makes it very clearly, but we still somehow miss it. He says that this is part of building something that won't pass away. What Paul says in that famous passage read at weddings, that any of us who've been to weddings will have heard several million times in our lives if we've been to weddings, is that there are things that pass away. God gives gifts, wonderful gifts, which nevertheless will pass away. What that passage says is that the things of heaven, because they're eternal, will never pass away. And that includes acts of faith, acts of hope, and supremely, acts of love. Somehow, those things are building something that will last forever. Somehow, in a strange way that we don't completely understand, they're part of building for God's kingdom, and they'll be permanently part of that kingdom. They will last forever. The Holy Spirit is given to change and mould us into becoming more and more of the people, both singular and plural, that God made us to be. So again, back to that illustration that I've used a lot this morning. That window, that fresh air being let in. We can keep the windows shut or we can open them and let the fresh air in. Are we prepared to open the window a bit wider, to let more of God's Holy Spirit, God's breath of fresh air, come in to transform both our lives and the lives of this church? We're going to turn to prayer.